0: Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 555.
1: Working with cars or the in restoring cars, don't give up the hope of doing it the right way if you want to.
0: This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. the battery car source since 1914. I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com Hello automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Christian Overland. Christian, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride?
1: I'm ready for the ride and I'm all buckled up.
0: All right, great to have you here. Christian Overland is the Executive Vice President of the Henry Ford. A museum in Dearborn, Michigan that provides unique educational experiences based on authentic artifacts and stories from America's traditions of ingenuity and innovation. Christian is responsible for leading and managing the strategic planning, national positioning, and visitor experiences, both virtual and on site. And in addition, he oversees the historical research, educational programs, experience design, and is responsible for the maintenance and growth of the institution's historical collection. Christian is committed to community service and dedicates much of his time to multiple organizations. So, Christians, I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you take a moment to share a little bit more about your career, the museum, and, of course, your passion for automobiles?
1: Oh, sure, Mark. First of all, it's great to be here on Cars Yeah with you. You're welcome. I uh, really love the show. Awesome. So, yeah, I, I am a historian. I got my start in American Studies and Art History. And really focusing on design and design history. And I started off the, as a, a docent, a volunteer at the Walker Art Center in Minneapolis.
0: Ooh, nice place. Uh, hanging around,
1: yeah, beautiful place, hanging around the design lab there. And then I uh, got my first real museum job at the Minnesota Historical Society. And then I got to work out in Cooperstown. And then I started working with the Henry Ford in 1993. Wow. I brought Buckminster Fuller's Dymaxion house. I took it down on the plains of Wichita, Kansas. And talking about automotive. <laughs> yes. It's an automotive-style house, you know, in the sense of that it's an aluminum house that is uh, riveted together. Cool. Kind of a cross between airplanes and automotive.
0: Yeah, just a little. Well, it sounds like you've had a really fun career path, and now a lot of people would say, well, he just gets to play with cars all day, but there's a lot more than cars to the
1: museum, right? Oh, we have 26 million holdings in our collection.
0: What? 26 million?
1: Holdings, right. Oh, my gosh. Roughly about 25 million are 2D artifacts, ranging from photographs to papers to advertisements, and then about a million artifacts that are 3D, that range, of course, from the car collection other automotive, we have trains, locomotives, design collections, everything from the Charles and Ray Eames lounge chair to refrigerators, sewing machines, uh, power units. We have the oldest surviving steam engine in the world, the 1760 Newcomen steam engine from Britain.
0: Wow. And 80
1: historic structures out in Greenfield Village, which is part of our property too. So everything from Edison's Menlo Laboratory to the Wright Brothers Bicycle Shop and Home.
0: It sounds like a place where you just don't go for one day. You spend a whole week because there's just so much to see.
1: It is a multi-day, multi-venue destination. You're right. And I've been here for almost 25 years. And just in that, I have not read every label.
0: Oh, I can't imagine. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, when you've got that many, it's just fantastic. And, And as my description stated at the beginning, the museum is really about the traditions of ingenuity and innovation for America and and all the things that were created and have been created. Uh, Just fantastic. I have not been to the museum, but it is on my list. And now that I've been able to talk to you, I definitely have to get out there since I I know a guy that can maybe take me on a special tour. But uh, I really appreciate that. As we continue on your journey, I always like to start with a success quote. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success. And as I always say, it's a really great way to get the inspirational tires turning here on Cars Yeah. So Christian, take the wheel.
1: So one of my favorite quotes is actually by Henry Ford. Whether you think you can or you can't, you're right.
0: (laughs) Yes, that is definitely one of my favorites. And I'll tell you something, my emails from my personal email, that is my salutation. (laughs) <laughs> I love it so much. Oh, that's, much.
1: Good. that's yeah, good. Yeah, absolutely. The other quote I like from Henry Ford is, no end to refinement.
0: Well, that's a new one on me. I like that. Well, how have you incorporated those two quotes into your life and what you do there at the museum?
1: Well, the Henry Ford, its museums, which include Greenfield Village, the Outdoor History Museum, and Henry Ford Museum, which is a 12-acre indoor museum, and then the Four Rouge Factory Tour, all of those experiences you know, we think about how do we connect the past to the present and to the future, almost bringing the past forward, if you will, along with those themes of ingenuity, resources, and innovation. So I use the quote, whether you think you can or think you can't, you're right, as a way to really test myself as a historian about making things possible. Mm -hmm. And my job with my team is really to inspire people to build a better future. So we got to be positive in everything that you do. Yeah. If you believe you can do it, you can do it. And one of the things I've learned over the years in museum business, especially at the Henry Ford, is that if you can dream it, you can probably build it.
0: <laughs> yes. if,
1: if you can, and if you can think about a historical way to present something uh, and connect to people and make it compelling, you probably can. So why not take a positive attitude towards life, a positive attitude towards work? and then really take to heart our mission to inspire people.
0: It's a wonderful quote. It's a wonderful saying. I've used it for years and years as my kids were growing up. In fact, they got a little sick of hearing it (laughs) because whenever they could be doubting themselves, Dad, I know what you're going to say, Henry Ford's quote. So (laughs) (laughs) It's useful. It is very useful, and I think to this day that kind of dwells in the back of their skull whenever they doubt something that they're going into that's new. You know what? I can do this. That's right. I can do this. Well, it's a great quote. Both those quotes are great. I appreciate you sharing those with our listeners. Let's go back in your time a little bit. I'd love for you to share a story that instigated your passion for cars. I know you have a design background. You love design. You love artifacts and art and all of these things. But is there a pivotal moment in your life when you realize that, you know what, I think I'm a car guy?
1: Yeah, there was. Um, 1969, I was eight years old. Of course, it was the same year that Paul... 11 moon landing mission happened and we have a kind from Minnesota. I grew up in Minneapolis region, but we have a cottage up in Northern Minnesota and we were closing down um, the cottage one fall in 69 in September. And my father took my brothers and I to a race and it was at what was then called Donnybrook. Mm -hmm. It's now called Brainerd International. Yep. And it was an IndyCar race. And I'd heard the name of AJ Floyd before and, my dad used to talk about um, Mario Andretti, the unsers, and I went to a, my first real, real race, and that's when I got the bug. <laughs> it was it came through racing in the beginning, and I still love open wheel today. Yeah, I love racing today. So that really, I looked as a pivotal point. As a kid, I started bothering my dad to get a go kart. <laughs> nice. <laughs> so, <laughs> And so we found an old chassis, and uh, we got a 16-horse McCulloch chainsaw engine on it. Oh, wow. So I'm a little older now, and I'm nine years old at this point. I'm, you know, 12. Yeah. And we found the engine, and down the block, where we grew up in Minneapolis, as well as across the alley, we bought the chassis, and we put it together. And that was a mean little machine. So my brother and I put our football helmets on, and we used to go (laughs) down and around the parks through it. So I started working with engines at an early age.
0: Yeah, I only had a five-horsepower Briggs and Stratton, man. You smoked mine. (laughs) Oh, I ripped up tires. We burned out clutches. Oh, yeah.
1: Finally, my dad took the engine off to put a Briggs and Stratton on because it was too dangerous. Yeah. And, you know, that thing just uh, it was an industrial, we call it a chainsaw engine. And that thing just used to rip around. Oh, yeah. But it was a lot of fun.
0: Oh, definitely. Most definitely. Wow, that does sound like fun. Cool. And getting to see A.J. Foyt when you're that age to race, I mean, one of those iconic legends. He's one of those guys that I'd love to get on this show just because, my gosh, the name's been out there forever. And, of course, the legend behind his name and all the adventures that go with it. Sounds like a lot of fun. Well, Christian, I would love to take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and talk about a huge challenge or a big failure. You're in charge of a lot of stuff there. And we talked a little bit about that Henry Ford quote where, you know, if you think you can or you think you can't, I'm sure you've bumped up against some big challenges in your career. If you take us there, share that painful moment with us. But the most important part is how did you overcome that situation and what did it teach you?
1: Mm-hmm. So one of the largest challenges I had in my career was – uh, I got the task for thinking about restoring Greenfield Village and we had to look at the the village which is eighty acres of green space with eighty one historic structures and we had to redig up all the roads and lay a whole new infrastructure in. Storm sewers, you know, all that type of thing. And I'm a I'm a historian. I'm not an engineer. <laughs> so one of the biggest failures was Working with a team back then and not effectively communicating with them about what we had to deal with. Mm. And I remember a president at the time, we were in a senior management team meeting and everybody was just up in arms about, what do you mean you want to close the village for two years? <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> what do you can't do you that. Because it, it was so important, to everybody's business, including there were weddings going on, and so um, I realized that I had to change the way I would make communicating, mm-hmm. and that was a huge failure in terms of trying to get that project launched. Mm-hmm. So I took that opportunity, sat down with my president. Uh, he mentored me, and along with the COO at the time, and she did too. And I got to restart that project, and that project became the most successful point of my career.
0: Mm, wonderful, you know. Your story reminds me a lot about another director at a museum, Alan Wynn, who runs the Brooklyn's Museum. I know Alan really well. Do you? Okay. Well, Alan, when he was on Cars Yeah, shared a similar story when he became involved with that museum and took over and walked into just all sorts of problems. That museum was in such a, a state of disrepair and decay and challenge after challenge after challenge. And, uh. He said some similar things about he had to kind of change the mindset of the people around him, change his own mindset in order to move forward. And, of course, the museum's become a great place. So uh, I really appreciate you sharing that with me. It really reminds me, too, the importance of having strong mentors around us who can help guide us and help us see things in a different light,
1: right? It does. And one of the things that, you know, happened through that when my president challenged me about how to come up with a better communication stanza and methodology. Mm-hmm. I actually started thinking about it. it's just not for the museum colleagues, but it's also for the contractors that need to work out there too.
0: Oh, yeah. So,
1: one of the successful points is every month we bought a free lunch for everybody working on the project. <laughs> yes. For ditch diggers to architects to engineers and brought them in and talked about our vision. Mm-hmm. And we created a shared vision. The project took nine months to build out. Mm. But, and then two years to design. So every month doing that, we were able to kind of get closer and closer with everybody working together. In the end, we had people inviting their grandchildren and they get a photograph next to these streets that they put in. Nice. This National Historic Landmark.
0: Oh, wow. What a great story. And it does come back to that basic, commonsensical thing of communication, communication, communication. It's so important, but it can be so challenging sometimes. So. Absolutely. Wonderful story. Well, let's shift gears here and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I like to call a career aha moment. It's a time when you know, the lights come on and you realize, all right, this is the path I need to go down. Would you tell us the steps you took to turn that aha moment for you into a success?
1: Sure. I um, have been working in conservation, which is uh, in a museum. It's the group that's tasked to preserving the collections, actually, working on them to keep them in the condition that they're in, sometimes, you know, make them a little better, clean them and stuff like that, but not full-blown restoration. So, Mm. thinking about cars, it's really trying to keep things in the best condition, most original condition, and making it look a little better, but not restoring it. And the big difference is, in terms of you don't want, you want everything to be reversible that you do. Mm. For future generations, if they came up with a better idea than you, they could reverse it. Right. So... I had been working in that area, and there was a pivotal moment in my career about, do I want to continue to do that? And I'd been working on designing collections, architecture, con- you know, conserving them. And I remember living in Ann Arbor, laying back in my bed, looking at the ceiling, <laughs> like, there's an opportunity here, and i got to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to go into the programming division area, hmm. and then work in collections in a new way. And so the difference in change, the big on-how for me was, as a historian rather than preserving things, I was presenting history. Ah. And that was the change. And I really found my niche. And I'd say the lesson learned in that is, you know, experiment, take risks, and to find the right niche, the right slot to be in for your career. Right. And once I found that slot, a lot of things happened. Good things for the organization, good things for other people. I knew how to be a, a better leader. Mm-hmm. And so the whole thing took off. And that was my biggest aha moment was realizing Yes, I could have a career in preserving, but what about a career in presenting and telling the story?
0: Yeah, yeah, I love that. I love that. Just a different perspective, somewhat of a a switch in mindset, if you will, or a paradigm shift, as they say. So very nice. I love it. Well, let's talk about Prada's career moments. You've been doing this for a while, so I would assume you've had many, all the experiences you've enjoyed. But is there one that stands out you'd like to share with us?
1: I guess going back to the Greenfield Village Restoration, when we all said and done, the village had been closed down for, like I said, nine months, and no one was allowed to kind of get in as far as the public to see what was going on. And this is a place that gets 600,000 people a year in it.
0: Wow. And,
1: you know, so over our entire site gets 1.7 million people uh, for annual attendance a year. Oh, my gosh. So the village was shut down, and we were opening it up to the public, and Bill Ford, who was our chairman of the board at the time, Bill Ford Jr., came in, and he did the opening address with the governor and our president. And at that point in time, he called me up on stage uh, with our president, and we were in front of 12,000 of our members. Wow. So these are members of the organization. The place was packed. Yeah. And with me and uh, the director of facilities management, who was my partner in restoring Greenfield Village we were all able to cut the ribbon and let all those members in.
0: <laughs> nice. And I
1: still remember the excitement today of the faces of the children and the families. Just we're delighted to get back in. And since that time, since we restarted, attendance has grown. Uh, we were able to do more programs, and people visit us around the world now to see what we've done in Greenfield Village. Wow. And another proudest moment is, is when we were looking at our 1965 Indy 500 winner, the Lotus 38-1. Jim Clark's car, mm. and I was over at Goodwood walking through the Formula One paddock. And for your listeners who don't know what Goodwood is, it was the Festival of Speed, one of the greatest uh, vintage racing events in the world, and I was walking through the Formula One paddock, and I was thinking about this car that we had, and I was seeking out anybody from Lotus, you know, thinking about, hey, can someone help us think about how to conserve it or, you know, actually get make it look better, and I introduced myself to someone in a Lotus shirt. And he turned around, and said, "Hi, I'm Clive Chapman. How's my dad's car?"
0: Oh my gosh!
1: Yeah, <laughs> and, and it was just a stunning moment. And and it was like, "Oh, uh, hi, I'm Christian Overland." From yeah, your car's great. <laughs> and and so Clive and I are the same age. And he's running Classic Team Lotus. He came over a year later, and we made the decision to after we walked through and really re- realized we had the original engine; it had not been changed. It, it like the Mark IV. Uh, Lamar Mans winter it just came off the track of the Indy track and just was deposited in the museum wow and we thought really we should conserve this pull it apart make sure it's all lubed up because this is all original material yeah so we flew it back over to England and we conserved it and the engine worked on course too pulled it all apart put it back together and then we premiered it at Goodwood
0: oh my gosh wow did somebody actually take it out and drive it
1: Drove it up the hill. Oh, my Rated gosh. Up the yeah. hill. Lord March was the first one. We gave him the honor. He's the Earl of March who runs Goodwood. Oh, yes. And then Jackie Stewart was the second. And Jackie Stewart, of course, was great friends of Jim Clark. Mm-hmm. And Jackie had a very quiet moment. When he got You know, we, he roared it up the hill, and it was just brilliant. Those, yeah. That special V8 engine with those trumpeting exhaust <laughs> pipes just screaming up the hill. And I was watching. All these wonderful UK British enthusiasts just cheering for this car because for the first time this car has ever been in the United Kingdom, right? Right. And of course, Jim Clark is a major hero of all the all those people. Yes. And they're cheering as the car get up there, and um, we're watching on the monitors, and everybody's just roaring. Jackie gets out. Emerson Fittipaldi gets up there, and and he pulls Emerson Fittipaldi out of the car. He goes, Emerson, get in this car, get in this car, <laughs> sit in this car. And Emerson sits and goes, it's all still here. Yeah. And Clive Chapman, you know, he and I are standing there together. That was a proud moment. Yeah. It was like it was like unveiling a Monet. Oh, yeah. You know? Yeah, and, absolutely. And, you know, to the art world. It had been long lost. Wow. And this wonderful car had life being breathed in it again for, you know, hundreds of thousands of people who enjoy
0: Oh, my goodness. Goosebumps on my arms on that one. <laughs> awesome story. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome, Mark. Well, let's have a little bit of fun here, go back in time again, and I'd love for you to share your first really special car. You talked about that overpowered go-kart, but is there a vehicle in your past that really stands out for you?
1: It's actually my first car. My first car was a 1966 Ford Cortina with a Lotus engine.
0: Oh, cool.
1: And it was an awesome little English Ford. Yes. And... And I bought it for $300. (laughs) Even better. (laughs) Yeah, and so that was a great car, four cylinder. Easy to work on. Oh, yeah. In the Minnesota winters, though, a little hard to start. So <laughs> I hate to admit this, but on some cold nights in January, I filled up the gas tank and just left the car on overnight. Oh, my gosh. So I could, so I could get, to, get to school. In the <laughs> get morning. to school the next day. Well, where I lived, it was 15 below. In January. Oh, yeah, it gets cold where you live. But it was a great car. I love that car. Yeah. Uh, it had you know uh, full instrumentation. It had a little mahogany stick shift with a little Lotus emblem in it. Nice, oh, so nice, and it was fast yeah. too. Yeah, yeah. I mean that thing. That thing had some amazing quick pickup on it.
0: Oh yeah. Well, that's one of the first cars. The great late, uh, the late great Jimmy Clark raced, of course, for those cars. And I was just at the the uh, Pacific Northwest Historics last weekend here in the neighborhood where I live, and there was one of those racing on the track. And I saw one just this morning on eBay through Bring a Trailer that was a wagon which I'd never seen, a Cortina wagon for sale. So
1: Yeah, my third car was a Cortina wagon. <laughs>
0: no kidding. Oh, my gosh. <laughs>
1: my second car was a Cortina GT. <laughs> oh, my. Well, you were hooked. And the reason why is because there was a, a farmer there was a friend of the family, and uh, he collected these.
0: Oh. And they were
1: up on his farm in Pine City, Minnesota. And so whenever, you know, unfortunately, my first car, I got into an accident. Someone rear-ended me and bent the than to, um, frame um so but he sold me another car nice. it was about 300 bucks wow my third car the cortina station wagon which is a light blue i had for a long time
0: well your first car for 300 bucks was a little cooler than mine most definitely i bought a uh chevrolet nova chevy nova 1967 for 300 bucks from a neighbor so uh I don't know if it's not a bad car. Well, not bad, but yours is much cooler for sure, especially given the history. So very nice. Well, how about a car you've owned that you've let go that you really wish you had back, that old seller's remorse?
1: So I'd have to say... My car, my 1966 Cortina Lotus. <laughs> there it is again. Uh, you know, I, I w- wish I would have, like, worked harder to kind of figure that thing out, because uh, it, it would be great to have today. I'm still searching for one. Yeah. Um But the other one, too, was my brother's car. He had a 66 Mustang.
0: Okay.
1: And that one he had for, it was his first car, was a 66 Mustang hardtop, and uh, he sold that when he was 21. I was just saying, like, don't do it. Hold on to that. <laughs> yeah. He goes, what? Well, I want to get something, you know, more modern. I go, that's going to be valuable someday. That's yeah. such a cool car. Yeah. And uh, you know, I wish we still had that in the family.
0: Yep, I had a '66 fastback that was a Shelby GT350 clone very nicely done clone that a friend of mine built with his father what a fun car i, I i'd go get gas in that car and it would be a 30 minute ordeal cuz everybody would come over and want to talk about it the mustangs just have such an iconic history i drove it to work every day for 2 years in the rain and uh, a little dicey in the slippery winter time here we don't have the kind of winters that uh, you had as a kid but uh, it was a really fun car that's for sure well let's talk about today and tomorrow i'd love for you to share a little bit of what you guys are working on that has you really excited and fired up what's coming up for the museum. Tell us what's happening.
1: Well, one of the projects that we're working on is we're digitizing our archive of American innovation. Mm. And a big part of that is the auto archive Mm -hmm. and the racing archive. And so we've been uh, digitizing uh, the photographs, objects, and things. And when I say digitize, it's just not a photograph of it. We actually um, put a narrative to it and create metadata so it can link with other things. Mm. What's exciting about it is that we're cr- able to create a digital framework and digital artifacts for people to use in a variety of ways. Mm. It's almost like we're sharing this great knowledge with the world again. Oh, yeah. You know, it's than just going to a library. People can go on their desktop to get it. So that's really exciting. And from collectors to uh, sports writers, for people who are doing articles or books, or people that are just interested in the, the stories, Yes, we get a lot of... Um, Fan mail coming in either through email or letters saying, Can you guys put up more stuff? Mm. And so that's very exciting for us.
0: Oh, gosh. I I can't wait to have some fun time playing in there. I can see how it would consume a lot of time. I've had a lot of restoration experts on the show here, and they've all said to me, You know, it's so nice now to be able to go out online and get. Accurate facts about cars that we're restoring, whatever mark they might be. John Wilhoyt, who's very well known for old Porsche 356s and old uh, short wheel base and long hood 911, said that the information that he can find now to make things accurate in his restorations are so, so valuable. And you mentioned that race car. I used to race vintage cars. I raced a Lotus uh, Formula Junior 18 that had an ford anglia engine in it so the old four-cylinder uh engine yep. which they modified and uh, beefed up from about 500 cc to 1100 cc so uh very cool cars indeed well here's a very introspective question for you christian if you were a car what kind of car would christian be and why
1: it's <laughs> a great one <laughs> um, uh and hey, it's uh, relevant because the time that just happened in the past few weeks, but I'd be the 1967 Ford Mark IV Le Mans winner.
0: Ooh, okay. Well, why that vehicle? You're the first one to pick that car.
1: Well, I'll tell you why, because it's the first all-American Ford, mm-hmm. all-American car built, built in Dearborn, mm-hmm. chassis and everything, car craft, and then all-American engine. And then, all American team.
0: Ah, okay. So,
1: Bruce McLaren and Chris, you know, the one in '66, but this one is the all American. And the reason why is because I'm an American historian. I yep. study American history. I, you know, write about it, present it, create exhibits about it. It's also one of the coolest cars in our collection, too. It's really a jewel in the crown. And. It's original. Mm. <laughs> it raced at Le Mans, and they deposit it in the museum.
0: Oh, uh, wow!
1: And it's, and it even it even has a cracked windshield because of, <laughs> you know about the stories the windshields where they were cracking, and Henry Ford II had to fly a bunch of windshields over on on. Jet airliners in first class to come to France in time for the race. Oh my gosh. Wow. So there was something wrong with the annealing, and this windshield eventually cracked too, but mm-hmm. it made it through the race. So, anyways, I love that car because of its American drive of innovation, yeah. um, what it did at Le Mans. You know, which is you know threw the gauntlet down against Ferrari, and and then from sixty seven, sixty eight, sixty nine, you know they had the three the three wins together.
0: Oh yeah, just wonderful history there. So very nice choice. I like that, and I like the reasoning behind it even better. So it makes sense to me.
1: Well, AJ Foyt drove it, and so did Dan Gurney. That's the other. Plus. Oh, that's right. Yeah, a couple <laughs> other.
0: Yeah, a couple other people
1: from your past. To my former heroes, two of my heroes from my youth. Oh
0: yeah, fantastic. Ah, wonderful. Great choice. Well, Christian, up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah! sponsors. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people, but what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, Certified Financial Planner Practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments and he's a car guy too call 253-722-PLAN or you can view his website at com. make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders or 12 or 16 securities through money concepts capital corp member finra sipic Okay, Christian, we're back. and We're entering the last lap, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received?
1: Be 15 minutes early to any automotive meeting. (laughs) Yes.
0: (laughs) Yes, great advice. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years?
1: I listen... And I make decisions that are informed. Mm. So, listening and don't don't be rash in decision making, but really make decisions that are informed.
0: Perfect. Now, how about a resource? I know there's lots of great resources out there, but is there one in particular, maybe two, you could share with our listeners?
1: Well, I think of the archive that we have—the archive of American innovation—that people mm. can find at uh, thehenryford.org. Yeah, and for your listeners too, people may not know we have the first fifty years of the Ford Motor Company archive, including every part drawing.
0: Oh my gosh! Wow. And
1: all the product literature and all that. And then we have the Bill Mitchell drawings, uh, all his original hand—you know—from Corvette, mm-hmm. you know, going back and forth. So we have Virgil Exner. Wow. archives as well, too. So if people are interested in restoring cars or they're just interested in the history or they want to write about it, they should go to that resource. It's amazing. Ah, uh,
0: treasure trove for sure. Now, how about a book? There's a lot of great books out there, but is there one that you've read recently that you'd like to share with the CarShout listeners?
1: So people always ask me about what's the best book about Henry Ford? <laughs> yeah. And I'm looking at my bookshelf right now, and I'd have to say Stephen Watt, People's Tycoon. Hmm. Uh, it's a great book. It's a well-balanced book. The thing about Henry Ford, he's a very complicated man. Yes. So there, he had some challenging times in his life as well, too. Mm-hmm. But it also, it's a very well-done historic overview of his life, and it's a great read. I mean, you can plow through it like a novel.
0: Awesome. Well, great. Well, I appreciate you sharing that. Listeners, you can find links to all these great resources that Christian shared on his very own show notes page at slash christian overland there's also another great place on the Carsia yeah website called guest recommended books where this book about henry ford and all the other past 554 guest books are listed for quick easy clicks to buy all right christian we are up to the checkered flag and this last question gonna be sorry i have to say it a real doozy <laughs> if you could have only one collector car in your garage but don't worry about the price i'll buy you any car you'd like money's no object today what would that one vehicle be, and more importantly, why?
1: So, I wouldn't take anything out of the museums because I want them available to the public. Mm, nice. But the one car that I want to have in my garage is an Overland Speedster.
0: Oh, okay. An early
1: Overland Speedster. I've seen a couple around. The name works for me. Yes,
0: <laughs> just a little bit.
1: <laughs> but I really like the way they look, the way they're designed, and I'd love to have one of those in the garage. Why? I think it'd be fun to drive. Mm-hmm. Uh, going back to my days of working on go-karts and my Cortina Lotus, mm-hmm. working on cars and engines, I really enjoy. Yeah. And so I'd love to have something older like that that I could tinker with, uh, but
0: wonderful. then
1: be proud to drive down the street.
0: Yeah, I think so. And I'll tell you, it's a funny coincidence. Uh, here at Cars Yeah, I have an Instagram account. I've been to many, many museums and and racing events and concourse events and the last 30 years and i post a lot of the pictures from my past and just last week this is a really strange coincidence maybe somewhere in my mind it was lingering i posted a beautiful grill of an overland so i'm going to send you that i think you oh actually... wonderful yeah yeah it's uh really funny as you were saying i was going wait i just posted something somewhere about overland ah the cars yeah instagram site so i'll definitely send you a a copy of that print that I took. I believe I shot that at the uh, Laguna Seca Historic Races. So I'll send that to you. Very nice car. You're the only one to ever pick that car. So very, oh, very unique, <laughs> very unique for sure. Well, Christian, you've taken us on a great ride today, and I've really enjoyed your stories. And I want to thank you for sharing your journey with the Cars you yeah, listeners and with me. Could you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you head off into the sunset in that Overland Speedster?
1: Well, I think for uh, your audience and restorers, if they're interested in, you know, working with cars or they're interested in restoring cars, don't give up a hope of doing it the right way if you want to. There's always a drawing out there. There's always a place to do it. And I would say the best way to do it is to start calling different museums. The museum community is really helpful. Yes, And that's what we're here for, is to share knowledge with all of you. And so please use us, because that is our mission, is to spread the word and share the wonderful stories and artifacts and collections with enthusiasts in the world.
0: Yes, it's very nice of you to share that. I'll I'll remind our listeners on the CarGia website, there is a tab at the top called Resources, and I've divided up all my past guests by the categories, and there's a category in there called Museums, where this show and all the past dozens of museum directors who've been on CarGia are. So I think that's a great piece of advice you've shared there. Check out all those museums. All those folks would love to hear from you. So if you're looking for a specific car to restore or anything about history of of automobiles, Definitely a great place to go. And Christian, what's the best way for our listeners to learn more about you and the museum?
1: So many people may not um, realize that we have a TV show on CBS every Saturday morning, Henry Ford's Innovation Nation. Yes. And so it's 52 weeks of TV, and you can see us on there, our curators and myself, uh, nice. talking about innovation. And there are car stories on there, too. So there's that. And you can also keep up with us at the henryford.org. Awesome. Uh, you can uh, be a member of our blog, and we'll surely keep you informed on everything automotive.
0: Definitely. So they can go to your website, they can sign up, receive that blog, and uh, receive any notifications from you as well, correct?
1: Absolutely.
0: Perfect. Well, listeners, again, you can find links to everything Christian's been so kind to share on his very own show notes page at CarsYad.com. Just type Christian into the search bar. His page will pop up with links. If you're in the Dearborn area or anywhere near there, check out the Henry Ford. It will be well worth your visit. And plan a couple of days. I have a feeling I'm going to have to get back there as well. Christian, thank you for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your experiences with the listeners and with me. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road.
1: Thank you, Mark. And I look forward to seeing you at the Henry Ford. And I look forward to seeing your listeners all at the Henry Ford. And when you come in, ask for a Christian. Absolutely.